Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. In their day. And so, um, in fact, within about two years, we believe after he wrote this letter, Peter himself was put to death because of his confession of faith. And so the Roman Empire had basically decided they were going to begin persecuting Christians and using Christians as a scapegoat. And it's Peter's advice to the early church on how to respond when things in the world are going wrong or going contrary to our our faith. And we call it the struggle is real because uh, sometimes it's kind of like a joke that, uh, I don't know, how many have heard of first world problems? Have you ever heard that term, first world problem? Come on, who's heard the term, bro? What are you afraid to stick up your hand for? <laughs> stick them up! <laughs> so, so first world problem is like, you know, when you, uh, when your cell phone doesn't have reception and you're just irate, you know? It's like, uh, hey, you have a, you have a cell phone. <laughs> you know, most people, don't, most people have never had such a luxury, right? So that's a first world problem, you know, if you're, if your restaurant's out of, you know, doesn't cook your food just right and you get upset. Now, that's a first world problem when, when 80% of the world doesn't have anything to eat, um, today. And so, nevertheless, uh, it's true that we have struggles even in our, our culture, our civilization. There are real issues. And so we may not be facing martyrdom like the church was when Peter wrote this, being killed for our faith, but there are people in the world today who are facing that. Uh, and, uh, but we are facing persecution. And so persecution can come in many, many different ways. It can come in people uh, criticizing you or demeaning you because of your confession of faith, possibly even losing a job over being uh, sticking to your Christian beliefs. Or it can come in the form of temptation because we live in a society that is so given over to worldliness. And so we're, this society is saturated with worldly thinking, and that makes it difficult. That makes our struggle real. And so we are looking at first century advice for 21st century living. And uh, we're just at the beginning of chapter 2 where it says, and we're doing this expositorily, which means we're basically taking it verse by verse, although next week Aaron Mueller will be here, and he's got a whole chapter, and he can't take that uh, verse by verse because it's too many too many verses to go. You'd be here for three hours. Uh, so, uh, but it's all on submission. So next week, you don't want to miss because Aaron's going to talk about submission to government, which is kind of an interesting timing for that message, eh? As well as oh submission to, uh, submission to, uh, 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 employers and masters in, in, in their context and then submission in the, in the context of family. And so it's going to be a good message. But today we're talking about First Peter 2, uh, 4 through 12, where it says, Coming to Him, Jesus, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Now, I want to read the, the verse just before this, where it says, verse 1 of chapter 2, and Mark touched on this last week, but it says, Therefore, laying aside or putting away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, 
envy, and all evil speaking. Uh, As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow. And then he says, coming to Him as to a living stone. And so we see that we are to move away from sin and sinful behaviors, malice, deceit, all those things, as we move toward Christ. All right, so it's, it is it is important. It's essential that we understand living a Christian life is is moving away or getting rid of uh, putting off is the term in the book of Ephesians that Paul uses that we put off these things. Uh, Peter says, move away from that stuff. All right, and the idea is, you know what? We grew up with that stuff. All right. We were born in sin. We were just natural. That's our natural state is, is deceit, maliciousness, envy, whatever it might be. Now, it's not an exhaustive list. He just mentions a few things and everything like that. But we're, we're to move away from that. And so if you can picture all of those things are on one side and we're moving away from that, but we're moving towards something else. And so a lot of Christianity is presented as only moving away. You need to get rid of that stuff. You need to get, you know, repent. You need to uh, stop sinning. You need to stop doing this, stop doing that. It's like a, a laundry list of things you're not supposed to do. And although that's important, it is more important that we understand that we're going toward someone. All right? That is a huge difference. In fact, I don't think you can effectively leave uh, those enticements and those past behaviors until you get the revelation that uh, um, Christianity or the call to Christ is to move toward Him, toward Jesus. Alright? Christianity is about encountering a person. <clears throat> you notice he says leaving aside malice and deceit and all these other things. He doesn't say and move toward honesty and diligence and all those, and, 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 and other behavior patterns. Alright? Those, it's true, but those things are a side effect of what we're really moving toward, and what we're moving toward is a person. Everybody say, a person. A person! Yeah, Jesus Christ. Actual person. Because Christianity is about encountering the person of Jesus Christ. Not just a list of rules, regulations, principles, all of those things are included because Jesus as a person has principles, <laughs> right? Uh, but it's coming into relationship with Him and that He is a living stone. He's alive. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And this is what I talked about in the, in the opening statement a few weeks ago, that the resurrection is what Peter was speaking of that Jesus Christ, though He died on the cross, though He was buried, He is now risen and He is now alive and you can have a living, real relationship with Jesus Christ today. He wrote this to people who were living probably in the 60s, 60 AD, so about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. Okay, but it applies as much today to you and I as it did to them, because we're really living in the same uh, stage or the same era, the, the, the time of the resurrection, the time of the church. So Jesus is alive. He was rejected by men, but chosen by God. And this continues in the theme that the book started with, that we are aliens 
in this world, we uh, are, 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 are rejected or at odds with the, the, the world that we live in. Nevertheless, we're chosen by God just as Christ was. Right? Jesus was rejected by men, but chosen by God. We are rejected. We are aliens. We are outsiders in this world, but we're accepted in God. Okay, and so understanding our identity based on the identity of uh, of Christ, Christians suffer the same rejection as Christ, and by rejection I mean conflict with the world system, with the world values. All right, uh, but we also share the same acceptance with God, and there's no question that this week we heard some news, didn't we? Did you hear the news? Listen, I'm referring to the Supreme Court um, decision concerning homosexual uh, uh, marriage. You know what's changed? In one sense, nothing. Okay? In some, um, some senses, it's, it's a significant uh, situation. But in the big picture, nothing's changed. When this letter was written to the church, um, homosexual lifestyle was completely accepted and commonplace. And, and much more extreme expressions of immoral behavior. And it's in the context of a world that doesn't have a, um, um, a facade of Christianity or a facade of, of right living that those who live righteously and proclaim truth accurately shine even brighter. Okay? And so the world is getting darker, but we can shine brighter. And this is a fulfillment of prophecy, okay? And so we don't need to worry in the sense of, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? You know what? Jesus is going to be proclaimed. And we're going to have the ability to speak into uh, um, the situation in a way that provides an alternative. And so we are at odds. And this week we've, we're feeling it because all of a sudden something we thought was pretty secure shifted. <clears throat> But this is not even the first time in my life that something pretty pretty secure shifted. I remember when pornography was legalized. I remember in the 70s and the, the, the trial that allowed uh, what is now commonplace. I mean, it was illegal. Uh, and they decided it was illegal, right? Uh, abortion. My goodness. The murder of innocent children. And, 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 and I say that aware, uh, you know, some statistics say one in three women in America have, uh, endured an abortion. And so there's probably people in this room. And so not, not accusingly or to bring condemnation, but here we live in a world where a million people are put to death legally by the medical. Wow! There's lots of things that are legal that are not moral. In most states in the U.S., adultery, adultery is not a crime. But even the world says that that's wrong. Okay? So just because something is legal doesn't make it right or moral. And it gives us the position to say, hey, there's a better way. And to realize that the, this is actually the place where the church prospers the most. And so don't respond in fear. This is one reason why we're teaching through this letter, is because there is a shift happening in our time. So we have enemies on the outside, like the ISIS 
militants that are literally cutting off heads and torturing. I, I know people that, that minister to, to the Syrians. Um, uh, uh, they go down into Syria and minister to people that have been literally tortured because of their faith. And we have enemies on the inside, in sense, inside our own nation that uh, are contrary, pre- uh, presenting a world a belief system, a value system that's contrary to what um, God presents. And so this gives us the opportunity to live. And so this is Peter's advice to people living in a world similar to what we're beginning to experience. He says, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that in the context of, of, of the wor- living in a world that's so contrary and even to the point where they, they're being persecuted, Peter turns their attention to who, who they are, their real identity, and their purpose. And so we need to keep in mind our purpose and who we are. And here it says it very clearly that we are, like Jesus is a living stone, we are living stones. And I'm sure that Peter was referring to, and I think we can actually, in Peter's own words, hear him explain something that we read about in the Gospels. When Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter's name was up until that time, Simon. And he looked at Simon, when Simon was one of his disciples, and said, you know, I'm going to change your name. You're not going to be called Simon anymore. You're going to be called Peter. And Peter is literally rock. Right? It's in Matthew 16. I say to you, this is right after Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that, that I am? And they were like, well, some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're John the Baptist. And he said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter nailed it. And Jesus said, you know what? That didn't come from flesh and blood. That came from the Father. He gave you a revelation. He gave you the ability to know truth. He said, and then he said, Peter, uh, I'm going to quote this. I say to you that you are Peter. Change your name. Rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All right. And so he spoke a new identity. You're a rock. And Peter's saying, listen, yeah, Jesus called me a rock, but you know what? Jesus is the living stone. And you also are stones. Right? Same image. He's, he's, he's transferring it on to us. Uh, and we have a purpose, and that purpose is to be built up as a spiritual house. One of the commentators that I, I refer to, I like, to, I like him quite a bit, um, his name is Clark, and he lived uh, a couple hundred years ago. And he says that sons and daughters build up a family as stones do a building. And so there's kind of a, 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 a mixing of metaphors here that we're a stone, an image of being solid, an image of being, you know, uh, defensible, that hell itself will not conquer it. But we have a purpose to be built into a household. And the idea is, you know, you take stones, you put them together, and you can create uh, a house. <clears throat> and I actually have a stone here. I want, I tried to find a bigger stone, but this was as big as we got around here. <laughs> Alright? And so the idea is that Christianity is meant to be corporate. In other words, that yes, we're living stones, but we're not meant to just be a rock sitting in a field. Alright? You ever, you walk up into a rock, uh, out in the middle of a field, what do you find underneath of it? 
Well, bugs, <laughs> creepy, crawly things, right? And, and a rock in and of itself is not real useful, right? Uh, in fact, it can be dangerous. In fact, right? What Cain do with it? It can be deadly, right? I think it, it possibly, prophetically, is a is a reclaiming or a redeeming of that story, that you know. God, Jesus, it's just the extent of the redemption that here the thing that was used by a brother to kill is now used. Jesus is saying this, this now has a new purpose. You're going to be joined together and you're going to make a household. And so you take something that alone and by itself and not in proper order can be dangerous or useless and when put in proper order can be a place of safety, a place of community, all right? And so this is our purpose, to be rocks, but be the rocks joined together as a spiritual house to be a family of God that represents Him and represents His ways to the world. Alright, continuing on. For this, Peter then goes, hey, this is written about all through Scripture. It says, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, uh, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And this idea that uh, he quotes from the Old Testament that Jesus is the cornerstone. A cornerstone is that the entire was a, was a building technique that they used in ancient times. That they would get a stone and they'd uh, 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 make it, shape it so that it had uh, straight edges. And they would use that stone to align the entire building. They would, they would measure off from that stone and the entire building would be lined up to that stone. And he's saying Jesus is that cornerstone. The entire building. What building? Well, the spiritual house of which we are a part. That is to provide safety and, and community for uh, uh, the world is all aligned to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it says that, and he who believes in him, oh, see, uh, behold, da, 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 believes. Okay, yeah, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Sometimes we make Christianity a little too mystical, right? And so this idea of he who believes, well, what does it mean to believe? Uh, do you believe that you're sitting on a chair right now? That's believing. Right? You consider it to be true. Right? And there's a place of believing that who Jesus is and what Jesus did is just true. And, and, it's, and it's actually reasonable for you to believe that because of a couple of things. One, this book is the most studied book, the Bible, of all time. Literally, every uh, letter of this book has been studied to such degree that you would be amazed. You know that we have approximately 30,000 ancient manuscripts of this book and every one of those manuscripts, every word and every letter in every word of every one of those manuscripts have been studied by hundreds and thousands of scholars. All right? And so some of the most brilliant people alive have come to the place where they realize that this book is, is unlike any other book. And so by the testimony of experts, it's trustworthy. 
but also by my own personal experience. It's trustworthy. In other words, I've found it to be true. When you live according to this book, life is better. I have hope and joy and peace. And when I don't, I don't. (laughs) And so I believe it. That's what it means. And that leads to the other level of belief, which is trust. Putting your trust, you actually trust. And the result of it is that we won't be uh, disappointed. Or in some translations, it says you won't be put to shame. So in the message, it says, whoever trusts in this stone, referring to Jesus, as the foundation, will never have cause to regret it. If you align your life with Jesus, He's a cornerstone, you line up your life with Him, you become a part of that spiritual house, you'll never regret it. Um, uh, And He will remove all shame. Alright? So all the shame that comes with the stuff from the past or the stuff that resurfaces, Jesus takes that away when we... When we line ourselves up to Him. Alright, I skipped a few verses. There we go. Oh, I skipped a whole bunch of verses. Isn't that weird? There we go. So, going on. Verse 7. This precious value then is for you. For who? Yeah, for you. For me. Yeah. And so when the New Testament writes that, it's writing to Christians. And you're a Christian. So the value of this preciousness is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this has become uh, the very cornerstone. He's quoting Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And so what Peter's referring to there and what the Old Testament prophecy was referring to is that the rulers of Israel, the ones who were supposed to know better, decided that they rejected the claims of Jesus Christ. And that was the high priest and the, uh, and the, the Sanhedrin, the council, when they, when they tried him and crucified him. But God knew that was going to happen because he knew the hearts of men. And so they rejected Christ. Well, listen, in our day, ruling authorities are rejecting Christ principles, okay, in Christianity. And it's happened in many, many cultures. And uh, it's unfortunate because that's, that's the person that God has chosen to align all things to. But the contrast here in this verse is between those who believe and those who disbelieve. I want, I want us to, to understand that now, in our day, the distinction that is made is between those who believe and those who disbelieve. Let me ask you a question. If you were in synagogue, which is a Jewish school, if you were a Jew, uh, let's say it's, it's four or five hundred BC, four or five hundred years before Jesus came, right? And you were Jewish. You were worshiping Jehovah. In a synagogue, they met for teaching of the, of the law. What would the, what would the priest be teaching that differentiates, uh, what's the main uh, distinguishing uh, uh, distinction between people in that day. Pastor wife can't answer. <laughs> she always comes up with the answer. I always. Oh, I, I know you know, honey. I know you know. You heard the sermon last week. No, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> All right. What would be the distinction throughout the whole Old Testament? 
Huh? No, they didn't know Jesus. What did that? What would that mean? Why would someone be circumcised? Who were circumcised? The Jews. All right, you're right. But the Jews were the people of God, and so the distinction throughout the whole Old Covenant was either you're a Gentile or a Jew. Now there was a way that Gentiles, not people not descendant of Abraham could be joined to the Jewish people. And in fact, several people in Jesus' lineage, his ancestors, were Gentiles. Okay, Because they were joined to the Jewish people. There was a method where they could be joined in, and the, the, the nation was actually meant to be a light to the world. All right, But the distinguishing difference was whether you were of Abraham or not. Now... There's a huge difference here. And Peter says it very, very, very clearly. The difference is, do you believe or do you disbelieve? It's no longer based on ethnicity or the language you speak. It's based on whether you believe it or whether you don't believe it. All right? Uh, Believing enables us to realize the precious value. When we believe it, then we we gain the, the value of it. And if we disbelieve it uh, and we reject, we're, we're actually rejecting the very thing through which God has chosen to bring salvation. All right? So you reject Jesus, you reject the only hope there is in this world. Because it's the only cornerstone. He's the only cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Another quote from the Old Testament. Peter is saying, hey, this was all prophesied. This, this, we didn't know it at the time, but this was what was being um, uh, set up all those generations uh, and throughout the whole Old Testament. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the Word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, We preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. And so, to Jews, it's a stumbling block because it was it just didn't fit in. They they tripped over it. The whole idea they missed, like the main point of the Old Testament, of all those stories, of all those encounters. It was Messiah coming, and they stumble over it because they had their eyes closed. And it's like they trip. And they... But the Gentiles, this is like the Greek world. Um, it's just foolishness. You know that the Bible says that the gospel is foolishness? So don't be surprised if you're talking to someone that doesn't believe in Jesus and they say, you know what you're talking about is a bunch of hooey. You know? That's silly. That's ridiculous. How could you? Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. What are you talking about the Bible? That has nothing to do with me. Don't get upset by that. They're actually quoting Scripture. <laughs> I'm serious. You need to learn how to respond. You need to go, guess what? You know that feeling? You know what you just said? The Bible actually says that. And they'll go, what? Yeah, the Bible says that this is foolish. What do you mean, the Bible says? The Bible says that the the Gentiles, the people that don't see it, it is actually foolish. It does sound silly. But this is why I believe it. 
And then you start sharing your testimony. And you start sharing the, the, uh, the testimony of the experts. <clears throat> All right? So the message is offensive and foolishness, but we're not supposed to be. <laughs> right? The message of Jesus dying on the cross is, is offensive. Uh, you know, it's basically saying there's, it's impossible for you to be good enough to be accepted by God. It's absolutely impossible. But God has made a way where you can be accepted because of His uh, sacrifice. He did what was necessary. And so it, it goes against the very grain of, of being human. And it's, it's foolishness until you believe it. And then, it, then it's like your eyes are open. All right? Um, <clears throat> but when we present it, we're not to be offensive. Okay? We're not to be uh, uh, foolish. We need to be wise. And we need to be caring. We need to communicate the truth in love. The Amplified uh, translates this verse. Amplified is a, is, a, is a version of the Bible where they put all of the words in. <laughs> to help us understand as best we can. But because uh, some people misunderstand this verse, I'm going to hopefully shed some light on it. It says, They stumble because they disobey and disbelieve God's word, as those who reject him were destined or appointed to do. So some people read this verse and say, Ah, see, the Jews were appointed to disbelieve. They were appointed, they were predestined to be doomed. Okay? And I don't think that this verse has anything to do with predestination. Regardless of your opinion of predestination, this verse is not talking about predestination um, because uh, we'll, uh, what we see in the next verse, but what it is actually saying is that anyone who disbelieves and who uh, disobeys God's word is destined to be doomed. All right? The verse can actually believe that they were disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. Some translations put it that way. They were actually appointed to the word. And we see this throughout all of the Bible, is that the Jews and, and these people were entrusted with the word of God. They were appointed to the word. They weren't appointed to be doomed. They were appointed to the Word. But because they disbelieved it, the consequence is doom. Alright? So, rather than the proof text for predestination of somebody else, it's actually a warning for you and I to believe and to obey. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> Alright. So, <clears throat> let's believe it and let's obey it. Verse 9, it says, you are... And this is another thing. He then quotes verses that were spoken over Jews as the chosen people, the one entrusted with God's Word and God's promise. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. In other words, those words were first spoken over the descendants of Abraham. Peter now says, Guess what, believers? That now applies to you. We now come into all of those promises through Christ so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. So we have the same promises that were spoken over Israel, that, uh, um, that all who believe come into that relationship of being uh, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own, uh, um, uh, God's own possession. 
And if you've heard the term replacement theology, probably none of you have, maybe one or two. But this is, you've probably heard the idea. Um, the idea is that uh, God sent Jesus to Israel as the Messiah. I'm going to simplify it. If you know it well, you probably will be upset about how I'm simplifying it, but this is the gist of it. Replacement theology is uh, Jesus came to Israel, <coughs> and Israel rejected him, and they crucified him. And so God said, oh, my plan didn't work. I guess I'll have to come up with a replacement. <coughs> so in the meantime, since Israel rejected him, we will take the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will accept Jesus until the end, and then everything will get worked out. And so some people believe that basically everywhere you read Israel, you can insert the word church because it's a replacement theology. All right, that's, that's an oversimplification, both of that theology, <laughs> but also uh, replacement theology is an oversimplification of, of God's actual plan. I believe in fulfillment theology. And what I mean by that is that it was, there was always one promise. And this is important for us to understand as Christians, that you are now living the very promise that was made to Abraham. Okay, Not because you've taken Israel's place because God's plan didn't work out, but because Jesus Christ came and fulfilled God's plan. It worked exactly the way God knew what was going to happen. This was it. And so we come into the promises of Abraham, you know why? Because we are in Christ. So it means to be a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I am in Christ. And so Christ is the elect. Jesus is the only elect. And when we are in Christ, then all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Okay? And we are in Christ by believing and trusting in Him. And if we don't believe and trust in Him, then we're not in Christ, and so we don't get all of those promises. Does that make sense? And so it means that all of the promises are fulfilled simply by believing. And it's unto a purpose. And that purpose is that we are to proclaim His excellence. The message translates this, that we are to be instruments to do His work, to speak out uh, for Him and to declare our testimony. So we praise Him, we declare who He is, what He's done, and we tell people about, hey, I was once in darkness, I've come into the revelation of the knowledge of Jesus, and this is what that means. And that's the purpose for which we've been transformed. we got just two more verses. Hang in there. We'll, we'll get through this. <laughs> for you once were not a people... But now are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Another prophecy from Hosea where God foretold that He would take all the people that were not a people and bring them in to the people of God. Um, but I love how the message translates this verse. Translates it very simply in just a, a few words. He says, from nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. That's the gospel, right? I was nothing, now I'm something. You were nothing in your sin, rejection of Christ, now you're something. You're something in God. You were rejected, but now you're accepted. And it's not because of what you've done or how good you are. 
but it's because of what Jesus did and how good he is. And you believe it. And so you receive the benefit of it. Uh, <clears throat> that's the gospel. That's what we proclaim. That's what we live out. Um, and it says that we are his own possession. And if you study that word, it's like God's saying, you know, you're my special people. You're my people. You ever like getting around your people? You know, my people? <laughs> you know the term, my people? Hey, these are my people. You know, there's certain places where you feel more comfortable. And other, people, other times you're like, hey, these aren't my people. <laughs> you know, and you can handle it for a while, but after a while you need to get around your people so you can relax and be, you know, just yourself. Okay, we are God's people. We're people that receive mercy. That's what this means. That's exactly what it means. Uh, that we actually feel comfortable in God's presence. And with God's people, oh, this is where we can be ourselves. Out in the world, we're, we're foreigners. We're strangers. You know, and don't be surprised if people misrepresent you and speak bad, take advantage, accuse you, whatever. Because uh, that's the way, that's the world we live in until Christ comes back. We are people who received mercy. And our message is, is to communicate that to everyone else out there. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, going back to this theme, theme to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Uh, or in the message, Friends, this world is not your home. Don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't, don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. All right? Being chosen and accepted in God is a call to live differently. It talks about the lust of the flesh in, in Galatians. One, one person translates it this way. It says it's referring not only to the gross appetites, so like gluttony or you know sexual lust. It refers to those things, but not only to those things, but also to the thoughts and all of the thoughts of the unrenewed mind. And so any thought that's not in alignment to Christ is fleshly lust. <clears throat> the idea here is that those things, um, uh, fleshly lust, whether it be greed or perversity or um, uh, anger, outbursts of anger, um, uh, gossip, whatever it is, those behaviors are at war with your soul. And unfortunately, many Christians have made alliances with the enemy of our soul. Listen, war exists for two purposes, to kill or to captivate. And when you allow uh, fleshly lust to uh, uh, be lived out in your life, if you give them any free reign, they will captivate your soul. They will put you in a prison. Okay? Or they will kill your soul. And so, sin is like soul wounds. Sin wounds the soul. And if I were to <clears throat> come up and, hey Lou, come up here. We were teasing about it. Trust me? Do you trust me? <laughs> Lou, no Lou. No, come here, come here, come here. Put your finger down here. <clears throat> okay, this is a real hard service, right? What, what do you think Lou would do if I say, hey, Lou, I'm going to crush your finger? He wouldn't let me do it, would he? Okay, you can go sit down. <clears throat> I'm not going to do it. 
We're really, really good at protecting our body from a little wound. But we allow our soul to be stabbed and to be cut when we give in to lust, temptation, anger, jealousy, malice. Those are wounds to our soul. We're so afraid about a little sliver. But we allow mortal wounds to go in our soul. And Peter says, hey, those things wage war. Don't, don't give in to them. <clears throat> Almost done here. It says, keep your behavior excellent. I love this. Because that word can be translated beautiful. Isn't that a better word? You know what? Be the beautiful people. Morally beautiful. In contrast to what this world offers. Um, among the Gentiles. Here is re- Gentiles refer to unbelievers. So that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because, they may, because of your good work, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Mark Morris said last week that theology prompts behavior. And so, and that has a purpose. And the purpose is to communicate the hope of salvation, the hope of transformation to those in the world around us. When they see our good behavior, good behavior not because we have to earn access to heaven, but good behavior because we live Christ-like, because we're in love, because we're accepted. And then that testimony makes people go, wow, there's something different about you. And they're drawn to that. And that leads to them, hopefully, experience... uh, where they can glorify God in the day of visitation. I'm just going to close with this. What does the day of visitation refer to? What well, certainly will mean when Jesus returns. Alright? Because that's going to be the day of visitation. Alright? Or it might mean the day you die. Or the day they die. Because when someone dies, the next thing they know is the, is the judgment, is the day of visitation. They're fast forwarded. Alright? <clears throat> we can talk about that some other time. But I believe it's today. Right? Because the Bible says many places, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear His voice. And so the purpose is we are to live in a way that gives people on the outside, regardless of what they believe, regardless of what, uh, you know, has happened in our world, we give them an option to say, hey, there's a different way you can choose to live. And you're able to live this by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. All right? Well, let's just close in prayer, will we? So, why don't you close your eyes? You know, if there's anybody here that has not accepted, that maybe you're still in the disbelieving stage. And all of us have to come to a place where we just actually accept what Jesus said to be true and then put our trust in Him. Or maybe you've done that in the past, maybe you've done it many times, but you, but you, you continue to fall prey to temptation and so you haven't been living it. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Hear His voice and receive this opportunity to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior so that you go from the category of rejected to the category of accepted. Alright? That's what Jesus wants for each and every person. And if you are a Christian, I pray that you would hear these words 
and realize the way we're going to stand up to the oppression that we're seeing in the world is not by getting upset or getting violent, but becoming beautiful, becoming more Christ-like and proclaiming this truth. And so be empowered to live righteously and be empowered, if this is your day, to accept Jesus Christ. Father, we come to You. We thank You for these words that have endured, that give us hope and give us a future and give us a plan. Father, I pray that each person here is blessed by these words and, and that they would encounter You in real and meaningful ways. Father, we pray a blessing on this week in Jesus' name. Amen.